Welcome to the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Join me for conversations about how to advocate for our kids in a one-size-fits-all world. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Hello. Today we are joined by Beth Caldwell. She is the author of 10 books on leadership, inspiration, and personal development. She believes that women can do it all, just not at the same time. A divorced mom who raised two sons on her own, Beth appreciates the unique challenges faced by women today. Beth, thank you for coming on. I'm really excited for this conversation. Hi, Emily. I'm happy to be here. So tell us a little more about your boys. How old are they now and what are they up to? Oh, gosh. So I have two wonderfully misfit children who are just like their mother in different ways. (laughs) They're both adults. And Brian went to school for business and marketing and moved to the Caribbean and lived there for a few years where he coached soccer teams, became very, very interested in the problem of addiction, which is very big in in our island. So he moved back home a few years ago and he's back in school. He's going to be graduating in 2021 and he's already working as a volunteer drug and alcohol counselor, but that will be his full-time job. So he's stepping into his mission. My younger Kevin, when Kevin was about nine months old, he was diagnosed as profoundly deaf. And that was in 1995. And that was before doctors were really understanding the signs of autism in children. And so for two years, we worked with Kevin as if he were deaf and later found out that he wasn't deaf at all. He was autistic. And one of the first of, you know, the wave of the kids of the 90s that were diagnosed with autism, Kevin is a tremendous young man, and he just graduated this weekend with his college degree in political science. That's awesome. I'm so proud of him. He has a part-time job, and now, which he has worked all the way through college, and he'll be looking for a job as soon as the circumstances in our world permits. Absolutely. Well, he's another example of a marvelous misfit. We're excited for all that he's accomplished in his life. And Brian, too. I mean, you've got some incredible boys, which just speaks to what an incredible mom you are. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. So speaking of mom life and the realities of it all, I want to dive right into this story that you shared with me, which is funny now, but wasn't so funny then, which is about the day that you took your oldest son to college and you felt like a total failure as a mom. So would you share that story with us? So let me give you a little background. So the first time I felt like a total failure as a mom with Brian was when he was in preschool and I took cheese sticks as a snack. Like those, I thought that was such a little cool idea, those little cheese individually wrapped ones. This was pre-Pinterest, but I didn't know that the other preschool moms were making these very elaborate and beautiful craft magazine worthy snacks. And this little three-year-old is like, cheese sticks? That's not very funny. <laughs> I have so been there many times over, Beth. <laughs> As a working mom, right? We do what we can do. And I thought cheese sticks was a great idea. And I even brought them juice boxes. I didn't make some kind of a mix or anything. Uh, so that feeling that you don't keep up with the other moms is a really hard one for a lot of women to overcome. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Brian went to college, uh, when he was graduated from high school, 
who was going to Penn State University. And, you know, moms like me, I have a business. I'm, I'm a professional speaker and I, I'm a writer. And I was teaching a workshop called Yes, You Can Write a Book. I had over 80 people sign up for this workshop. And I had planned it in January and it was happening in August, but I had been marketing it for the whole year. Well, colleges, as we know, even today, schools, they don't plan around the working mom schedule. So we no. letter in the mail that move in day is the same day as my conference. And I'm a divorced mom. Brian's dad does not live in the same state as, as me. So I was just so stunned when I hear this information. And it's only about 10 days before it, it's. Oh, no. So I, now I have to figure it out. My brain, though, I have learned, Emily, my brain doesn't work the way most people, most people look at a problem and they go, this is so bad. And how could this happen? And I can't believe this happened. When I see a problem, I go, how can I make this work? So first I was a little upset and disappointed because I had wanted to take the entire day off to drive. But you know what? After I settled down from the initial shock and I looked at the note, I said, hey, move-in starts at 2.30 and the last you can get there is 4.30. (laughs) And my event is over at 1.00. We can do this. We will be driving on two wheels around the corner, (laughs) but we can make this happen. We can definitely make this happen. And so that's what we did. And once I got the conference behind me and was in the car and we were heading on the road, I was fine. Brian was the first child in our family to go to college. His dad and I do not have a college degree. And so because of that, he was accepted into a special program as the first college student in the family. And he was going to be able to get some extra tutoring. There was some extra money support for him. They were having a dinner for for those families that night, an early dinner before the other students. And so we get to the dorm and we get there just at the last minute. And it was a really hot day in August. Of course, he was on the third floor and we put stuff up there, put away, and we just do it in the nick of time, Emily. It was just in the nick of time. And we get to the dinner. Of course, we were the last people there to walk in. And there were about maybe 35 families in this room, uh, moms and dads in many cases, in some cases, just one parent and the students. And we sit at this big round banquet table. There's about 10 people there. And to our left, so Brian's sitting to my right, and to my left is a woman and her husband and her son, and they're from New Jersey. Well, of course, they left at five in the morning. They planned for three days. They did it the way that I wanted to do it. And as she began to talk, I instantly went back to that preschool moment. Mm. And while we're having dinner and there's a speaker, this woman reaches into her tote bag, her designer tote bag, (laughs) and she pulls out on her designer stationery. She has written out a diagram. Now, they've been in the room of the student all day and they have everything put away. She has written on the diagram and she has, honest to God, Emily, I just wanted to crawl under the table when I saw this. She has the, the, the bed drawn. She has, it's like an architecture thing. She has the dresser, she has the chest, and she has the desk. And on each drawer, she has written in pencil what's in each drawer. And she's going over it with her son. And her husband looks like he wants to crawl under the table. (laughs) But all I can think of was, how did you know there was a dresser and a chest? How did you know there was a I didn't know anything. And how did you get a diagram of the room? how did you know where your son's room is? And she tells me how she got on the website and she made these phone calls and she was determined. I did nothing. (laughs) What time do you have to be there? (laughs) And you use garbage bags to pack him up, right? 
we use laundry baskets. <laughs> hey, that was smart. Laundry. Ba- Listen, if you're moving a kid into college, laundry baskets are the easiest way to get thing up and down the steps and you can reuse them. So mm-hmm. between my, my significant other and I, Paul, he has two children. I have two children. Between the four of them, those laundry baskets came in handy and then they, they keep them for their dirty laundry. We take some of them home. So we were using laundry baskets. We didn't have fancy suitcases or anything like that. And so I began to feel very inadequate and very much like I had let my son down. And I just leaned over and I said, honey, did you pack socks? (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, we need a target run, right? (laughs) So meanwhile, she had labeled his socks and done all of this. And I felt very woefully inadequate. And through the evening, we got to know each other. We learned each other's names. We learned what the boy was going to school for. Brian talked to him. So this was a way for the the kids who were coming from out of state to make friends. So it was hard for me driving home. I was exhausted after throwing a conference. I was missing my baby already. This was my firstborn. I was so proud of him and excited for him. And I also just felt a little not good enough. And Just like, I wish I had known I could have done that diagram. And why didn't I think of doing that diagram? And I did beat myself up over that for a couple of days. In fact, everybody that I told, they said, how did it go back? And I said, I didn't do a diagram. I didn't know you were supposed to do a diagram. (laughs) But what happened was fast forwarding the story into, he was pretty far away. So I didn't see him again. This was in August. And I saw him again in October when he came home for the Columbus Day weekend. But I didn't see him much. He came home and saw all of his friends. But Sunday, as we were driving back, I said to him, hey, how's that boy from New Jersey? He said, mom, oh, him. He didn't make it past Labor Day. He moved back home with his mom and dad. He couldn't live away from home. And here I had been for six weeks wishing I had been more like her. And what she had done was made her child dependent on her. And the thing that I had been beating myself up for, you know, people say all the time, is there anything you would change? And I would say, no, you know, I really wouldn't change anything, except I do wish my kids You know, I wish I had been able to send them to the best schools. I wish I had been able to put them on the travel baseball teams, the things that we didn't have the money for. But because my kids grew up the way they did, they both went to school. They both were able to handle every situation and they both were able to be away from their mama. They were okay. And so it turned out that the thing that I most regretted was the best gift I could give them. And that's why I love that story, because we are all in that story with you. I mean, every mom has beat herself up about not being Pinterest worthy enough, not doing enough, not having the diagram or, you know, we really are hard on ourselves looking back on, you know, woulda, shoulda, coulda. And did I do everything the best for my kids? And I just love that the irony worked out in your favor, you know, that the thing that you thought you were failing your son in really was the thing that helped him to thrive in life. So I'm so glad that you were open with us. And I hope that encourages the rest of us to give ourselves some grace when we have those same feelings. I guess the biggest regret that I would have now is being so hard on myself. Mm. Yeah. Trying to be like what I wasn't. And the picture of perfect is not necessarily what our kids really need from us. Absolutely. That's so true. Mm -hmm. So let's go back to what I talked about in the intro, where you believe that women can do it all, just not at the same time. And I think that's a a good reference back to how, you know, you did your conference in the morning and you moved your son in the afternoon. So you do a lot of things. I know that you have lots of plates spinning all the time. 
Can you tell us more about how that really works? Well, you know, Emily, I'm going to tell you another story. (laughs) Okay, I love it. Yes, you can do it all, but you can't do it all at the same time is a message that came to me during a very difficult time of my life. And it was when my boys were in about maybe kindergarten and first grade age. And I was really feeling guilty because after my divorce from their father, I had planned on like a five-year plan of getting back to the suburbs. And five years had come and gone, and I didn't get back to the suburbs. I had created a nice little business for myself, but I was an income of one. And where I was making a nice income, it was only one income and it wasn't suburban worthy. It was just not going to cut it. So I was offered a job. I was offered a really nice six figure job doing exactly what I wanted to do, speaking and teaching and traveling. So at first I was excited when I saw the job, but then I realized it was three weeks a month of travel. Now this job paid so much money that I could have immediately bought a house in the suburbs and I could have afforded to pay a nanny at the same time. But I didn't want to leave my kids with a nanny for three weeks. And I was feeling very torn. And it took me about two or three weeks to say no to the position. And when I did, they were so surprised that I said no. And I was really upset. And for weeks afterward, I was beating myself up for making that decision. And one night I was paying my bills at the kitchen table late at night after the kids were asleep. And, you know, listen, I always had more than enough money. I always had more than enough money, but it was only that one income. So there wasn't money to buy that baseball bat that was 150 or take the trip to the beach for a week. Like it wasn't what our friends were doing. And so I was sitting there paying bills and I was being mean to myself. And I was saying, um, well, if you took that job, you could pay this credit card off. This would be a down payment on you know, of a Disney vacation. If you took that job and it was at that moment, I believe that God spoke to me and said, you can do it all. You just can't do it all at the same time. And that voice said to me, look at you. You are all alone and you are paying your bills with no help. You have a job that you love. You're paid well and you're only working part time. You get to be with your kids when they wake up in the morning. You're with your kids when they go to bed at night. And then I felt a little bit guilty, but it was so true. And guess what? I don't know. How old was I at that time? 32. And I was thinking when am I going to get to speak on stages? This is, this is just never going to happen for me. Do you know what, Emily? I wrote my first book at 39. I now have 10. So I can do it all. But when, it was very important to me to be a full-time mom to those boys as much as I could. And honestly, everybody tells you the time goes by fast. You don't want to hear that. There's plenty of time to do it all. Plenty of time. I have written 10 books. And I raised my kids. And guess what? I travel all over the country and speak when travel is permitted. Now I'm doing it virtually. But it really, truly can happen. And it has happened for me. That's so encouraging. And I can relate to the feelings of guilt on both sides of the coin. So when I'm with my kids as a working professional, I feel guilty that I'm not getting everything done in my work life. When I'm working, I feel guilty that I'm not spending the time I want to with my kids. The struggle is real, and I I love that you're putting it into perspective about, first, focus on what's important to you right now, and if your kids need you right now, then that's the most important thing, but secondly, there is time, and we have long futures ahead of us, 
and we can get to those things. And I, I really personally find a lot of encouragement out of what you're saying. You, as you've mentioned, are a single mom, and that came out of some tough circumstances. And you shared with me that being a single mom has really made you feel like a misfit a lot of the times. Talk to us more about those experiences you've had as a single mom. Well, I'm of an age where people got married. (laughs) People got married and had kids and moved into the suburbs and had their house on the cul-de-sac. And that was very important, not only to to my peers, but also in my family. And I was the first person in my family to get a divorce. And even worse than that, Emily, I left a very difficult situation and my children were very young. My youngest, Kevin, was only two weeks old when I left that situation. Brian was one year and nine months old. I left my home when everything in it with two babies in a car seat and everything that I could personally fit into the car. And that was two weeks after having a C-section. It was maybe the most difficult thing I've ever done and probably the most important thing I've ever done. It had to be done. But what happened was that I learned that most people don't leave difficult marriages because they don't want to give up their home in the cul-de-sac and they don't want to move their kid out of a school. And so most people will stay in a difficult marriage until the kids graduate or until they're a little bit older. So I found myself in a very strange position with babies, being divorced and having babies. And I looked young and people would sometimes think I was a teenager. I was 26. People would sometimes think I was 17 or 18. And these boys had two different daddies because Brian has brown hair and Kevin has blonde hair. They would be like, well, who's Kevin's dad? (laughs) Make all kinds of assumptions about me. So funny to think of what people said and thought about me at that time. But I didn't fit in anywhere. I didn't fit in with single people who weren't married. And married people, I made them very uncomfortable because just look, here's a woman who has these two babies and owns a business and bought a house. and you know, the men didn't really want their wives hanging out with me because then they felt like they had to really up their game or their wife was going to, you know, get some ideas for me. And the wives really didn't want me hanging around their husband. So I didn't have any couple friends. I didn't have any single friends. And I really tried for a long time to get married. In the beginning, I would think, let me date somebody and, and get married and maybe nobody will know. Like we'd hurry up and have two more kids and nobody will know that they're separate families. I had so much shame around that. Um, marriage was not meant to be for me because there were other plans. And so I did often feel like I didn't fit in anywhere. And it was hard. It was really hard to not feel like you fit in. Mm-hmm. So how'd you get through that? Well, I think I'm a resilient person. And I, I looked to my role models most of my role models are not married. Oprah is a role model. Goldie Hawn is a role model of mine. And Marlo Thomas is a role model of mine who is married, but got married very late in life. And I also looked at people who were happy. It was really important for me to be happy. And it was really important for me to have strong, resilient kids. I had some down days, but how I got out of it was I looked at families who had really strong and smart and resilient kids. And I looked at women who were really, really happy. And I realized that most of my role models didn't really fit in. Hmm. That's how I, that's how I did it. I just paid attention to people that I would change places with. So I stopped trying to be like that picture perfect marriage, that one that I thought I had on the cul-de-sac in the right schools. I stopped trying to fit in there. And as soon as I stopped trying to fit in there, life got a lot easier for me. Yeah. Sometimes the most harmful expectations don't come from the outside. They come from ourselves. Absolutely. They do. We 
are hard on ourselves with our our own self expectations that are unrealistic um, and aren't even necessarily good for us. So that's really important. And speaking of role models, you coach a lot of working moms. So what is the single most important piece of advice you have for them? Well, now I have to say, stop trying to fit in, especially if you were meant to stand out. (laughs) Yes. I have to say that, but I would say the biggest piece of advice that I give people. So I work with women who work as leaders in their company or they own their own business. And what I see where their stuck point is, is worrying what other people think of them. And they maybe want to start their business. Maybe they want to start a newsletter. Maybe they want to write a blog or write a book. And they are frozen in fear because what will their neighbor say? What will their coworker say? What will their husband, their mother, their sister say? They are so stuck on that. And I've been there too. There's one chapter in my book that I was frozen on writing because I didn't feel like an expert in it. I have to coach myself sometimes. I had to like, oh, wait a minute. Let's listen to the advice you give other people. I'm not trying to be an expert when I talk about uh, the topic that I was writing about was mindfulness and calming your mind down. And I'm a chronic multitasker. So the voice in my head was saying, who do you think you are talking about mindfulness? You're not an expert on that. And I had to coach myself out of that and say, yes, but most women are actually like me. (laughs) Most women are not meditating 40 minutes a day. Most women are multitasking most of the day. I struggle with that too. What will people think and what will they say if? And so you know what I tell them, Emily? Look, they don't pay your bills. They don't get to chime in on how you make your money. And as they say, well-behaved women rarely make history. That is so true. So you have an ebook that's called Time Saving Tips for Moms, and we all could use some more time in the day. So we're going to link to that on your episode webpage on mothersofmisfits.com. And we're also going to make that available in our episode insider. So folks listening, if you aren't already receiving the episode insider, make sure to go to mothersofmisfits.com and sign up there. But I'd like you to choose one of those tips, Beth, just to highlight here for us. So how can we save more time in our day? Well, the ebook has these different categories. So it's like at home, at work, in the community. But my favorite is in the car because I think that moms are in the car a lot. Yes. One thing that I want to talk to moms about, because Emily, I know that a lot of moms of younger children listen to your podcast. And sometimes they listen to my workshops and they'll say, well, that's easy enough for you. You know, your kids are grown and my kids aren't sleeping through the night. But you know what? I've been through that. And the thing is, is that if we if we pull back and we look at our lives, those years that the kids don't sleep through the night, that's a little teeny time. That's a temporary time. In most cases, it's a temporary time. And so at that time, we can't demand ourselves to be productive or have perfect cars or Pinterest worthy preschool snacks or anything like that when you're not getting a full night's sleep or when your kid is going through a a challenge as a teenager or moving to college. All of those things are temporary things. Okay. So for me, I had a stinky car, Emily. (laughs) You have two boys. (laughs) My car smelled like socks all the time. And so I had two boys that both played sports and Brian played every sport there was. And I was always giving other kids rides. And there was one time that I found some stinky socks in the car and I didn't even know who they belonged to. Okay. 
Now, I look back on that time and I miss it. Okay, that was only about five or six years total that my car was stinky, but it was a problem. (laughs) And so I got into a habit. My kids went to a kids club at church on Wednesday nights. And by the time they were eight years old, I mean, I was dropping them off. And so that was my thing. On Wednesday night, I would drop them off. I only had about an hour and 15 minutes. And that was the night that I did two things. I cleaned my purse and I cleaned my car. And I would go right to the car wash and I would dump out all the trash and say, whose socks are these? We're taking them to their house (laughs) or whatever. And just organize the car. I would find library books in there that were past due. And I would find lunch money and sometimes old lunches. And I mean, a lot can add up in a week and drop the boys off with a messy car and went come pick them up and everything was nice and neat. And they had books in the back to read. And I also cleaned my purse out at the same time. And I I don't do that now. Uh, Now I kind of clean my purse out every Friday and I'll find business cards in there and receipts and they get put where they belong. And that's sort of how you keep up on it, but find one day a week to keep up with your car. That's one of my favorite tips. And those are the, I'll give you another tip that I love too. Okay. You know, my son, Kevin was autistic and that made grocery shopping really hard sometimes. And since I was divorced, I had to take my boys with me everywhere. And then later I helped to take care of my grandfather who had Alzheimer's, which is not that different from being in public with a person with Alzheimer's than it is being with a person who's autistic. And here's a little trick. I would always park around the side of the grocery store because then you don't have to cross in front of traffic. And usually there's a lot of parking places over there. But if I did have to park in the lot, if I couldn't park on the side, I would have the boys or my pap in his 70s. I would say, now let's look at the sign. So let's pretend like we were at Target. I would say, we're parked in front of the R. And that is how I taught them directions and words at the same time. But it also helped me if I had a child who had a meltdown in Target and I came out, I wasn't going, where's my car? Where's my car? Where's my car? Uh, I would be like, we're parked in front of the R. (laughs) So that's just a little tip that you can do. And it also helps in the conversation and who remembers where the R is, who remembers where our car is, what color is our car. It just helps people with autism and people with Alzheimer's and people with other challenges have troubles with the transitions. They have trouble going into the lobby and out in the parking lot. And you want to find things to keep them focused and guess what? We do too. That's why so many women are wandering around the parking lot looking for their car. Because <laughs> we always see that every time we go, don't we? Don't we see one person kind of wandering around? I have totally tried to get into a car that was not my own. It was the same make and model. And thank goodness the car alarm didn't go off. But yeah, I have very embarrassing stories around that. So you learn, you learn how to yeah. make things work in your situation and you learn how to make it fun and you learn to focus on what's most important. And it's all about those little tips and tricks. And I appreciate that because it goes back full circle to what we started talking about in the beginning, which is a all about creating independent kids and teaching our kids to do things for themselves. And even that little moment that you took to say, where are we parked? How can you find your way back without needing me? That's huge. And those are the things that build on themselves to get your kids where they are today. So I'm really glad you shared that. And I actually have a Wednesday night church program for my kids. So I'm going to start doing that because my purse, who knows? That stuff's been in there probably for yeah, months, you maybe might years. Help. I know. Yeah. It's, it's probably a little scary. 
Yeah, your purse smells really good. And you're like, what is that? Oh, it's an apple. <laughs> yeah, no, right. Or, right. or gum that got lodged down in there, peppermint. So, okay, Beth, we could talk all day, but if folks want to learn more about you, how can they do that? Yes, well, I'm on all the social media platforms, but please come to my website, coachbethcaldwell.com. There is a page on there where it says advice from Beth, and you can have find all my little videos and all my tips on there. So it's coachbethcaldwell.com. But most important tip, Emily, cheese sticks are always good for a preschool snack. Yes. And you know what? I didn't get to say this before, but one year for Halloween, I took in cheese sticks too, and I just drew these little uh, circle eyes and a mouth with a Sharpie, and it looked like a ghost. So I thought that was pretty cool, and it it went over well with the preschoolers. So there, I'm with you. Cheese sticks all the way. <laughs> so cool. Well, thanks for coming on, sharing all of your real-life stories, the struggles, the ups, the downs. Just appreciate your honesty about that and all of your incredible wisdom for us as moms. So fun and keep doing the great work. I've been loving listening to your other guests. That means so much. Thanks again. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We also invite you to visit us at mothersofmisfits.com.